Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. I've entitled the morning's message, Broken Vessels and Matters of the Heart. The words which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Jeremiah has been prophesying now from the last 18 chapters uh, the fate that's going to befall Jerusalem. He's going to be speaking to them before, this is before the fall, during the fall, and continue to minister to them even after Nebuchadnezzar come down, comes down and destroys the city. He really only has one message. The message is judgment is imminent, and it's going to come from the north, primarily from King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And it's gotten to the point, as far as the people are concerned, enough. Enough, Jeremiah. We have had enough with your negative talk, all this talk about judgment. There's other prophets around here besides you, and they're not saying that. They're telling us everything's going to be fine. And quite frankly, we like their message better. So it's time to get rid of you. So if you turn to chapter 18, verse 18, it tells us this is the, the attitude of the people now. Then they said, come, let's devise a plan against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let's attack him with the tongue, and and let us not give heed to any of his words. They have had it. What do they do? Verse 22 says, Let a cry be heard from their house when you bring a troop suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and hidden snares for my feet. Um, Jeremiah was actually put into a pit. And they did try to do their best to shut him up because they just did not want to hear what he had to say. Now, in chapter 19, verse 1, the Lord, again, wanting to get the point across, is going to use illustrations. Our text was an illustration at a potter, at a wheel, making a vase or whatever he was making and he had to remake it and he says am I not God or not and can I not make whatever I want with my people now in 19 he has a vase or a flask and in verse 1 the Lord tells okay they don't want to hear it, Jeremiah but we're going to give him more I want another illustration lesson so he says in verse 1 thus says the Lord go and get a potter's earthen flask and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the, of the priests. So he has a vessel in his hand. He gets some of the elders. He gets some of the priests and he says, follow me. Between verses two and nine is an indictment of all of their sins and, uh, 
at the end of verse 9, we have verse 10. The Lord says, because of these sins, this is what's going to happen. Verse 10, then you shall break the flask in the sight of these men who go with you, and you will say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, even so I will break the people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel which cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet, where there will be no more place to bury them. And so he uses this illustration. The Lord gives Jeremiah um, a message to illustrate it. I can just see him picking it up. It's broken, and um, you're not going to be able to put the pieces back together. You're going into captivity. End of discussion. And um, Jeremiah continues on with his ministry. Um, I believe the idea of this broken earthen vessel takes on a beautiful example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you go, whoa, where do you get that out of there? (laughs) And um, you begin to connect the dots with certain prophecies that allude to these events in the book of Zechariah. And you'll see this beautiful story unfold. And remember, these things were told in the New Testament. That happened in the Old Testament were written for our learning. So there's more to the story that meets the eye is what I'm saying. And for the first piece of the puzzle, you need to turn to Zechariah chapter 11. And let's look at some of the symbolism. Is there symbolism in the Bible? Absolutely. It's symbolic with the potter at, at, at his wheel. It's symbolic, the breaking of the flask. It's symbolic of judgment, and they're not going to be put back together. That's a symbolism. But even more than that, remember Jesus said the whole Bible is about him. Even Jeremiah 18? Yeah, even Jeremiah 18. We read in Zechariah 11, verse 12. Then I said to them, if it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, then refrain So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. The princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Of course, this is a prophecy pertaining to Judas Iscariot. And what I would like to walk you through is the scenario of what Jesus did on the last, uh, one of the last nights when he was betrayed by Judas. To do that, we need to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, picking it up, verse... Let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. I added this this morning as I thought it through. Uh, When you read verse 1, it says, It came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. All right. He just got done giving um, what we would call the Olivet Discourse. So when you read Matthew 26, verse 1, and it says what he had finished all of these sayings, the question is, what sayings? Well, it's what we call the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24 and 25. It's all about 
the abomination of desolation, the signs that would precede his coming, um, the rapture of the church as it was in the days of Noah, the parable of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. We call it the Olivet Discourse. But at the end of it, now we have Matthew 26, verse 1. At the end, came to pass when he had finished, finished what? The Olivet Discourse, that he said to his disciples, and this can't be made any more clear than what it says. He says, you know, guys, after two days, it's going to be the Passover. And then the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Did everybody understand what I just read? That's exactly what he said to his disciples. You know how much they got it? What's their mindset? They're, obviously, you're the Messiah. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. This isn't their mindset, that the Lord is going to be crucified. But did he say it? Well, he clearly told them they clearly weren't listening. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. And they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, but we don't want to do it during the Feast of Passover lest there be an uproar among the people. Jesus had to die on the Passover because he was fulfilling prophecy. He is the Passover lamb. Remember what Passover is all about? Apply the blood to the door and death will pass over. Jesus has to be the Passover lamb. It was his blood and death passes over us. And he says in verse two, that's exactly during, that's what's gonna happen. Now, even though the disciples weren't listening, that doesn't mean that Mary wasn't listening. We read in verse six now, when Jesus was in Bethany, this is the city of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he was in the house of Simon the leper. Well, he's not a leper anymore. And a woman came to him having an alabaster full of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head and sat at the table. But when the disciples, and more in particular in other gospels, it was Judas who brought this up, saw they were indignant, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Here's a whole year's wages, a guy's whole year's paycheck. For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Again, Judas is the one who says this, and then the comment is, it's not that he cared for um, the woman, it's that he was a thief and he had plans of his own for it. But when Jesus saw and was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring out this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Whenever you read about Mary, we, without exception, see her at the feet of Jesus listening to his words. Somebody want to say amen? And that's where she's always at. What's she doing? She's listening. Remember Martha chewed her out one time saying, Lord, there's a lot of work to be done around here. I'm doing all the work. And she's just sitting around doing absolutely nothing except listening to your Bible study. And what did the Lord say? Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. 
You're worried about many, many things. But Mary here has chosen the better thing. And um, some of the guys during men's prayer said, you know, I could have been out, been out doing this, golfing or fishing or something. But you know what? I'd rather be here at men's prayer. And because it, is, it really is such a blessing. Uh, just taking in God's word and um, really allowing it to hit home and really allowing it to penetrate. Well, what was going over the disciples' head, because they had plans of their own to be a part of the administration, Mary here, who I believe this is, every time Jesus said he was going to die, she was listening to the point where this would probably have been her dowry. That's what people speculate when they read commentaries. You know how important that is for a woman in those days to have their dowry? And then just to pour it out on Jesus. And she knew while she was doing it, my Lord is going to die. And so I'm going to give that which is most meaningful to me, and I'm going to do it for him. Well, now this brings us to the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 11 in verses 14 and 15. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, And he said, what are you willing to give me if I give him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Everybody think that Judas was a little naive. He didn't know quite what he was doing. Oh, he knew what he was doing. He was a thief. What Jesus has to say about Judas Iscariot, it would have been better for that man if he was never born than to have to stand before the Lord because of his betrayal and what he did. He was a thief all along. And uh, here we have step one of the, of the fulfillment of Zechariah. The next thing that happens is in Matthew um, 26 and verse 47. Of course, Judas would have known that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, that many times they had their camp out on the, on the Mount of Beatitudes, in particular the Garden of Gethsemane. So he knew where to go. And so he leads, Judas leads about 400 men right to where Jesus was. So let's pick it up in verse 47. And while he was still speaking, Jesus, it says, Behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign. He says, the guy that I kiss, he's the guy you're looking for. Then immediately he went up to Jesus. He says, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, I would have said to him, Judas, you snake. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) What does he call him? Friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and they took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus uh, stretched out his hand and and drew his sword and struck the servants of the high priest and, of course, cut off his ear. And you know that story. But here we actually have the betrayal. Hey, how much are you going to give me if I turn him in? Well, they, they gave him 30 pieces of silver. If I don't mention it later, if you were to purchase a slave in the Old Testament, the price of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. Let's go to the next step, and we hear after Judas 
realizes that Jesus is innocent of all these things. He's with him every day for the last three years. He has a conviction in Matthew 27, picking it up in verse 5. We read, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned and I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? You see to it. What do we care? It's not not our problem, it's your problem. And then he threw down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and he hung himself. He couldn't live with what he did. He couldn't live with the money. They didn't want it, so he throws it down. Now the guys, the Pharisees get together and go, what are we going to do? This is blood money. And it says so in the next, but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them back into the treasury because they, they are the price of blood. This is blood money. We can't touch it. So what do they do? Well, they fulfill Zechariah chapter 11. And they took counsel and they bought with them a potter's field to where you bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled, notice which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord had directed them. All right, here's where I think it gets really interesting. There's more here than what meets the eye. Let's see if we can um, work this one out and talk it through. First of all, our text, if you go back to Jeremiah, 18, where Paul read earlier, is a potter. And basically saying he can do whatever he wants to with his earth. And what is pottery made out of? Well, earth, basically. Clay, water, and then it's molded and it's shaped. So, As we look at it, what do we have in a potter's field? Outside of this guy's house, he probably had a backyard full of pieces of of pottery. I was looking for mine. I couldn't find it. I got got some pottery that I found on Masada. Pieces of clay, just clay jars. And um, I kept it for a a cheap souvenir, but I looked all over. I couldn't find it. I wanted to show it to you this morning. But uh, this broken vessels that are made on a potter's wheel is what our text is about. But you think about it, he's liking it to people. Who are the people? The children of Israel. Well, let's make it more personal with you and I. We read in Genesis 2-7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, out of earth. And he breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living being. We, therefore, are earthen vessels, uh, earthen vessels that are breathed on, 
And because our creator, who made us, created us in his likeness, that we might enjoy fellowship with him. And there was a period of time that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day and they had fellowship with their maker. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, something happened. Man sinned. And you might say he became broken because the fellowship that once existed is no longer there. And we have a picture of what was made out of dirt and breathed into, having a free will, having a free choice, decided to sin. And um, as a result of that sin, uh, we've been broken. And at this time, I need you to turn to the book of Romans to clarify what we're talking about here. Romans chapter five. You know, the Bible divides people into two categories. Either you're a broken vessel that's been put back together, or you're still a broken vessel. Either you have fellowship with God, or you do not. The issue is sin, period. Can I say that again? The issue is sin. That's what caused us to be broken. Now, Paul, in writing to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 12, explains this, where he says, Therefore, Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, that's where we got broken, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And so there's none righteous, we're told, no, not one. Before we're born again and saved, we are all broken pieces of earth. Great place for an amen. No exceptions. All men. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression. Um, And it tells us here, the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. Notice the word many and not all. So much for universalism. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which which came from the offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through that one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, and I have this underlined, the free gift, it was, it's free, came to all men resulting in justification. Or another way of saying, when you receive the gift, God looks at you as white as snow. He has nothing against you. It's all been paid for in full. That's what to tell us that means. It's finished. 
The work is over. All you have to do, anybody that's received a gift, what do you do when you get it? Thank you very much. Can you do anything else? Well, let me give you 10 bucks for the free gift you just gave me. (laughs) It's a $100 gift. You just insulted me. And so the point here, yes, it's free, but the blood of Jesus Christ is the most valuable commodity the universe has ever known. It was costly. And um, the Pharisees couldn't take back that money. Why? Because it was so valuable, it was blood money, they had to buy a potter's field. All right, let's see if we can begin to put this together. Let's connect here. One of the reasons, again, I enjoy going through the entire Bible is you get the full picture. You see Zechariah and Romans fitting together. You see Jeremiah and um, uh, Judas's betrayal. That's just one big part of the scriptures. So we, we're told in Zechariah 11 again, and let's quote the prophecy. Then I said to them, if it's agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not, then refrain. So they weighed out, this is Judas talking, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to him, throw it to the potter. The pricely price they set on him. And so I took the 30 pieces of silver, I threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken, Matthew 27, by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced. We can't keep it. It's blood money. Now, the Pharisees had no idea what they were doing. They didn't get together and say, hey guys, today let's fulfill Zechariah chapter 11. And we'll figure it out that we'll give exactly 30 pieces of silver to this traitor here. And um, no, they didn't get together. They had no idea what they were doing. But the Lord, knowing all things, knew exactly what was going to happen. They took counsel, these scribes and Pharisees, and they bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood, even to this day. They probably did not know what they were doing when they called it the field of blood, but I hope you don't miss it. This potter is more wonderful than any other potter. He shed his blood that he might go into the field and take those broken pieces and put them again on his potter's wheel to make them another vessel. We call it being born again. Lives that are shattered and broken. He is the only one who paid the price. He is the only one who formed man in the beginning. And as he said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Flesh is flesh, spirit is spirit. And don't marvel Nick, (laughs) that I say you must be born again. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10, the chapter before 18, is one of those verses we've all heard in the Bible. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Next verse, uh, Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. 
Now God tells Jeremiah to use the illustration of breaking this vessel because, um, why? Because they wouldn't be pliable in his hands. And he even says so in Jeremiah 19, verse 15. Here's their heart attitude. I'm quoting Jeremiah right now. Thus says the Lord God of hosts of Israel. Behold, I bring on this city and all of their towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it. Why? Because they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. Being stiff, not hearing. Got to get rid of Jeremiah. Anything but being pliable. If you're a piece of clay, you got to be pliable. You can't be hard and stiff-necked. And so his accusation to them is, I couldn't work with you. Because when it came right down here, your heart, my heart, as we hear God's word, is going to have one or two reactions. This is the word of God. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the potential to divide between the marrow and the bone. It can cut that deep. But when the gospel was first preached by Peter in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved. It says they were all cut to the heart. There were more than 3,000 people there that day. But the ones who were convicted and repented were pliable. And the ones who did not get saved were stiff-necked and simply did not want to hear it. Gang, nothing has changed. People today that are ready, they know they're broken, broken vessels. They know they have nowhere else to turn. And they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's in the business uh, and he's able to put your life back together again. I want to close this morning with you turning to the book of Romans chapter 12. And this is something that Paul is begging the Romans to do. And if you're not saved this morning, or maybe you're watching live stream, and um, you're a broken mess, your life has been shattered, I have good news for you. I have news, very good news for you. But Paul says that you got to be flexible. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In light of all that Jesus went through, all that he did for you, he did it because he loves you, and um, therefore, it's only reasonable for us to say, Lord, here I am. Next verse, and do not be conformed. What happens on a potter's wheel? Well, something is going to conform your thinking. Something is going to shape your life. Here Paul says, but don't let it be the world that we're living in. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, Present this earthen vessel to God. Be pliable in the master's hand and let him conform you into his image. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. They know it. If you're born again, you know what I'm talking about. And what it means is when he's speaking to you, then yield and allow him to continue that 
transformating process, and I'm quoting now 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, I think Paul must have been from the south or something, y'all, we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being ongoing, transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the spirit of the Lord. Yes, we've been justified and our sins are all forgiven. But the, but the sanctification process, different word, is sort of an ongoing willingness to be made by him as the Holy Spirit works in us. The Bible says that the judgment has to begin in the house of the Lord. And um, he wants to shape you and conform you. I mentioned on, on Wednesday night, I, first time I ever came to Nina, Wisconsin, was to visit this place called The Illusion. I was 16 years old. There was a band that I liked very much called The American Breed that was playing there. And their number one hit at the time was called Bend Me, Shape Me. It was Bend Me, Shape Me, any way you want to. Long as you love me, it's all right. Any old timers remember that one? <laughs> I came, that was my first trip to Nina. And they had the strobe lights going off and then the smoke. And, then, and um, it was the number one hit. But it's true. Lord, bend me, shape me any way you want. I know that you love me. And it's all right. Because I can trust. Here's somebody uh, where we're told not to put our trust in men. Good place for an amen. But the one that really loves you so much, you can trust him. And he's only going to do those things that are best for you and only best for you. The question is, are you yielding? My friend, he's working with those broken pieces today. And he will work with you if you let him. He has already paid the price for your redemption. You can't make anything out of uh, yourself for him. I can't either. But he can take it and he can put it on the wheel of circumstances in life and shape it into a vessel of honor. We are the clay. He is the potter. Last verse today. If you hear his voice, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. Those areas that he's been speaking to you about, don't be stiff-necked. If you're not saved and you're here or you're watching live stream, you realize your, your life is a mess. You realize you're broken. You realize you don't have fellowship with God. God's word says today if you hear the gospel in Jeremiah, and he can put you back together. He paid the price. He's the only one who did. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for... Being able to find the gospel in Jeremiah chapter 18. And um, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. That as your word tells us, these things were were written for our learning. And so, Lord, we do pray that we would be flexible. That you take away from us our selfish, stubborn nature and our stiff-neckedness. And Lord, you'd make us like yourself. As you're wanting to do and conforming us by the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Bible, Lord. We love your word so much. In Jesus' name, amen.